Bienvenido a otro podcast de la Iglesia C29 Granada. Esperamos que te inspire y te haga reflexionar. Hello to everybody this afternoon. Welcome. And uh, we are continuing in our series about after the pandemic. Biblical Principles for Lifestyle Renewal, because we're just simply thinking that, you know, when this is all over, um, life at one level can't ever be quite the same as it was before. And honestly, many of us are beginning to think that the more we think about how it was before, we actually don't want it to be the same as it was before. So we're we're thinking about a number of, of biblical principles um, to help us as we've come to think about lifestyle and life, life ways of life um, after after it's all over. In our last study, um, or the last couple of studies, that we've been talking about some fairly big, big picture issues. We thought about God creating the universe and this planet, in particular, to place um, as a place for God to create life. And God then created men and women to use and care for the earth and to carry on the creative work that God had started. God's intention was that humans would then go on and develop culture and civilization in just the way that that we have. We also talked briefly about the results of man's rebellion and the corruption and decay of the earth that resulted from that. But we then read about the new heaven and the new earth that God will create by transforming the old heaven and earth. And this is going to happen when Christ returns and when humans receive their resurrection bodies. The transformation of the earth will destroy all that's evil, impure and unworthy. But it will retain all the honorable and the glorious things that have been created on the earth by humans and by the nations. And these will be brought into the new Jerusalem and celebrated once more. Then the men and women whose names are in the Lamb's Book of Life will take up their human tasks of worshiping God, serving him and ruling over the new earth. As I say, that's a, it's a wonderful grand vision, and it's very important for us to, to hold on to that. Both the reason why God put us here on earth and the hope of the new heaven and the new earth. But I'm also very aware that that left us all with important questions of how do I fit into such a grand vision? Each of us is only one person living on earth for a limited period of time. Very few of us become world leaders with the ability to make history. So how do I fit into such a vision? Because we like to be practical, words such as work, jobs and vacation always come up in the context of such questions. Of course, at times like this, there's much less work and jobs are scarce. We have to think even more carefully about them. And these are the topics that I want us to think about today. So the title for today is, How Much of My Life is Included in My Calling from God? 
How much of my life is included in my calling from God? This is important because we live in an age when each of our lives tends to be defined and evaluated by the work that we do or the job that we have. The word vocation is another thing, another word that we need to, to think about because it comes up with a fair degree of regularity, vocation or calling. It's an important one, but it has changed its meaning enormously over the centuries. In the medieval period, a vocation referred pretty strictly to a vocation to go into either the priesthood or into a monastery. The reformers, Martin Luther and John Calvin, rejected that idea and said that we all had both an inner spiritual calling and an external calling. And the external calling at that time referred to a person's status, either as a husband or or wife, or in some way to their social status within the feudal system at that time. Either they were men and women who were servants or serfs, or they were members of the aristocracy and the land-holding class, or they were part of the church. So it was all related to a person's status. After that, the external calling gradually became focused more and more on a person's occupation. Later, during the Industrial Revolution, when so many aspects of the economy and work changed, the idea of vocation became special to the sorts of jobs that sometimes we talk about as professions. It became a rather elitist idea to have a vocation. In these days, as the number and variety of jobs continue to multiply, I think there is still a distinction in people's minds between those jobs that involve special skills and perhaps a university education from all of the other unskilled jobs in basic manufacturing or service industries. People with the first kind maybe do talk about a vocation or calling. People with unskilled jobs very rarely do. The New Testament actually says very little about work, um, which is a problem for us when we want to to know more. Uh, But it has quite a lot to say about our calling from God. And today I want us to ask ourselves the question, how much of my life is included in my call from God? And I want us to start off by, by looking at a description of a most remarkable woman. It's found at the end of the book of Proverbs in chapter 31, verses 10 to 31. And as you listen to this description, I I want you to think about a couple of questions. First of all, what was her job? And secondly, which of all of the things that she does is the thing that makes her so worthy of praise? So the writer says, a wife of noble character, who can find? She's worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. 
she brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She's like the merchant ships bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it is still night. She provides food for her family and portions for her female servants. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. In her hand, she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed. She's clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected at the city gate, where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them, and supplies the merchants with sashes. She's clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom, and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her, saying, Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive, and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Honour her for all that her hands have done, and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. She's remarkable. She's a businesswoman making and selling cloth. She's a farmer with her own vineyard and makes sure that there's plenty of food for the whole household. She makes sure that her whole family are well clothed and there are furnishings in the house. She manages her household and her servants well and fairly. She teaches her children and her servants. She's honoured by her husband and children and by her community. She's a woman who fears the Lord. So, if she had to fill out a census form, what would she say that her job or occupation is? And why is she praised by everyone? I think she's praised for the way that she lives her whole life. There is no part that is more important than another. And frankly, I'm not sure what she would write down on the census form. Maybe it would be businesswoman. Today, we sometimes suffer from having a complete separation between the places and the people involved in our homes, the places and people of our work, our church, and our leisure activities. It's almost like we live in three or four separate worlds, like living separate lives. And an important part of the stress of modern life is certainly caused by what seems to be a competition between these different lives. What was amazing about this, this woman that's described in Proverbs was, the, was the, the wholeness, the integrity of her life. It all fitted together in one seemingly perfect whole. So 
to what does God call us in this life? Some of the times when the New Testament is referring to calling, it's just to those who are called by God into his family. In Romans chapter 1, Paul talks about being called to belong to Jesus Christ. In other places, it talks about being called to be saints or called to be holy. And those two are really about the same. It means to be set apart for a purpose. And then in the familiar words of Romans 8 and verse 28, Paul writes, We know that God works with all things for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Called according to his purpose. And and what was that purpose? Paul continues, and he says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Well, again, maybe this seems like rather a big picture. And so I want us to look at some passages from Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus to try and get the down-to-earth version. Let's start with Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. And if you've got your Bible there, turn to Ephesians and keep it open so that you can follow through where we are reading. So first of all, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, where Paul says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Well, that seems pretty down to earth and and helpful. But Paul doesn't specify whether these good works apply to our home life, to our work or what we do at church. I think, therefore, we should assume that he means that the whole of life is involved in the good works that God has prepared for us. At this point, it's important for us to remember that we are the people of the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit that brought new life to us and continues to do so. And Paul starts off in an earlier part of his letter to the church at Ephesus with a prayer for them. And he says, I pray that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. So the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is the one who will give us our resurrection bodies, and it is the same one who dwells in us and empowers us 
to do those good works that God has prepared for us. We are people of the Spirit, and it's that Spirit who empowers us to do the good works that God has prepared for us. Therefore, having established that we are the people of the Spirit, Paul continues in back in chapter 4, where he says in verse 1, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And again, it can only be the whole of life that is his concern, and it, which is the concern of God's calling. And it's the whole of that life that should be worthy of God's calling. In the rest of this chapter, chapter 4, Paul shows how the Spirit makes it possible to live a life that is worthy of God's calling. How it's possible for us to complete the good works that God has prepared for us. So, again, following on in, in chapter 4 of, 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 of Ephesians, Paul continues in verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Paul doesn't explicitly say so, but what he's describing here, I suspect that most of you will recognize as some of the fruit of the Spirit. And he gives us a fuller description of that in his letter to the Galatians in chapter 5. And we can just remind ourselves that there Paul says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. The fruit of the Spirit describes our character, the way that we live our lives, the way in which we behave in all our relationships. It describes, therefore, the ways in which we perform the good works that God has prepared. In many cases, it's the fruit of the Spirit that makes the works actually good. Think about it for a moment. We can all do something for somebody or maybe give them a gift. What counts is do we do it grudgingly or do we do it out of love and concern? It may be the, the way in which we do those good works, the fruit of the Spirit, which actually makes those works good or bad or just indifferent. So the first thing that enables us to live a life worthy of God's calling is the fruit of the Spirit. But then Paul goes on in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, starting in, in verse 7, to say, But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ has distributed it. It is why it says, when Jesus ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. And going on in verse 11, Paul says, so Christ himself gave 
the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We're going to look at this piece, this passage, piece by piece. But we should start by noticing what was the purpose of all of these gifts and works of service. It is, quotes, so that the body of Christ may be built up. And I think we can understand two particular ways, two equally important ways in which the body of Christ may be built up. First, the body of Christ has to be built up in terms of the numbers of new believers from all parts of the world. From that, we can immediately see that the gifts of the apostles and the evangelists are relevant to that part of the goal. But we should also notice that God's people need to be equipped for works of service so that the body of Christ can be built up. The preaching of the gospel is necessary, but quite clearly the demonstration of the gospel in Christians' lives, in Christians' works of service, is equally necessary. Secondly, the body of Christ needs to be built up so that we all become mature in our faith. And once more, we can see that prophets, pastors and teachers will be necessary. But again, it's also the works of service that demonstrate the knowledge of Jesus and the love that builds unity and maturity in the whole body. There are three main passages where Paul talks about the gifts of the Spirit. This one in Ephesians. There's the 12th chapter of Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth and the 12th chapter of the letter to the church at Rome. The one to the Corinthians is the one that emphasizes that everyone in the church has a role to play. However weak, however disabled, however insignificant they may seem to be to others, they are all gifted and important for the health of the whole body. The passage in the letter to to Rome is useful because it gives us some idea of the gifts that may be involved in the works of service that Paul is talking about in Ephesians. And this is in Romans chapter 12 and verses 6 to 8. And Paul says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Well, the gifts of prophecy and teaching 
uh, come up again and they remind us of those special gifts that Paul talks in Ephesians, uh, talks about in Ephesians 4. But it's all of the others, the very practical gifts that I take encouragement from. And these are the gifts of service, of encouraging, giving, leading or administrating and showing mercy. These must be at least some of the gifts that are used in the works of service that are necessary for building up the church. So by now, I have two more questions about all of this. And the first one is this. Are these gifts given to be used in the whole of our lives or only within our lives in the church community? And and secondly, if, if we have these gifts from God, in what way do we need to be equipped by our pastors and teachers so that we can perform the works of service that build up the body of Christ? So the first one, are these gifts given to be used in the whole of our lives or only within the church community? I have to say that most of the teaching and the discussion of spiritual gifts that I've experienced over the years has emphasized the use of the gifts within the church context. And because we've called them spiritual gifts, there has never been a satisfactory explanation of how spiritual gifts relate to natural gifts. If I think about myself, for instance, I have to say that the gifts of teaching and mentoring and the the gifts of serving that I enjoy using in the church context are really exactly the same gifts that I've used for decades in my public health and medical career. So are they just the same? And and when I see one of the gifts listed in the in the letter to Rome as giving to be done generously, I have to assume that in order to be able to give, that person needs the gifts to be a successful farmer or a successful businessman to have the gifts, sorry, the things or the money to be able to give to others. So, frankly, I end up at this point believing that there is no basic difference between natural gifts and spiritual gifts. We need to pursue this a little bit further because if God is still concerned with the way that we use the earth and organize human society, presumably he wants to use all of our gifts for his purposes in those areas of life as well. So our first question is, are those gifts for the whole of our lives or just for the church context? And the second question then is, if we have these gifts from God, in what way do we need to be equipped by our pastors and teachers so that we can perform the works of service? Is there something extra which needs to be added? In a church context, we always pray for God's blessing on our evangelists, our pastors and our teachers. We do that because we believe, I believe quite correctly, 
that if the words spoken are not from God and then applied by God's spirit to the hearts and minds of those listening, then there will be no spiritual benefit. I suspect that we all believe that and probably give some good examples of our experiences of it. But if that's the case, should it not also be true that all of the other gifts that are used in works of service are of limited or no value if not blessed by God? In in John's Gospel in chapter 15, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain or if you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus offers two alternatives, much fruit or nothing. Again, we have to ask, does this apply to the whole of our lives? or just to one part of them, maybe the church part of them. I propose to you that Jesus is interested in the whole of our lives, at home, at work, and not just part of them on a Sunday afternoon or in our RDNAs or whatever. So why do we need to be equipped for works of service for the good works that God has prepared for us? He's given us gifts, so what extra do we need? Well, first of all, Jesus wants us to be in the world, even though we don't belong to it. He wants us to be in the world, but it's a tough world out there. First of all, we need solid food and experience to help us to learn in practice what is good and what is bad, what is correct and what is evil. And then we need to have our thinking renewed, our minds renewed, so that the world around us doesn't simply push us into its own values and ways of thinking. And thirdly, there's a spiritual warfare out there. So we need to learn how to use our spiritual armor. We need food and experience to help us to learn and practice what is good and what is bad. We need to have our thinking renewed and we need to have our spiritual armor because of spiritual warfare out there. God provided the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers to equip us in these ways. He also provided us with older and more experienced Christians who have similar gifts and callings to us to show us the way, to challenge us and to encourage us in all aspects of our ways of life. Finally, what about my work, my job, my career? It's a difficult thing to talk about, especially at this time. Um, I think in Spain, it was difficult to talk about this even before the pandemic, because we also at that time still had very high unemployment rates and problems in the economy. And a major reason for this, I believe, is that the globalized economy is designed to serve money rather than people. Next week, I am proposing to look 
that we look at the Old Testament to study the structure of the economy that God set up for the children of Israel in the promised land. And from that, I hope that we can understand and pull out some basic principles of a godly economy, one that prioritizes people rather than simply money. But for now, let's remember that God has give us, given us gifts for use somewhere in the whole of our lives. We have gifts which he wants us to use somewhere in the whole of our lives. So we should be seeking God's guidance to find appropriate ways of using our gifts in our homes, in our family lives, in our work, in our leisure activities, and in our church community and any other aspects of our lives. And we'll realize that not all of the gifts are necessarily going to be used in each part of our lives or at any particular time in our lives. They're going to get used in some parts of our lives in some times during our lives. And it's certainly true that the greatest satisfaction in our jobs is when we have a job that has some meaning and purpose, where our particular gifts get used and where our bosses both appreciate our gifts and help us to develop them. The same principles could be said about our gifts in our home and family lives or in our church and hope and uh, uh, church and and and, uh, and spiritual lives in the new testament as i say there's not a lot about work but there are three basic messages that we can find first of all that we all do need to work and earn a living paul clearly says in his letter to the church in thessalonica if somebody can work but is not working then he doesn't get fed doesn't get food. Secondly, we, sh- we are encouraged to work not just to feed ourselves, but we're encouraged to work hard to earn enough so that we can also have enough money to share for the needs of others in need. And the third thing is that whatever our job, we should work to please God, not just our bosses. Whatever it is that we're doing, we should be working to please God and not just our bosses. In the time of the Roman Empire, when Paul was writing these letters and and the other apostles were writing, um, it must have been true that many Christians who were also slaves did not have jobs that used and developed their gifts. Some of them, it's true, did have jobs that used and developed their gifts, but many of them didn't. And I think this is also true today. Not not all of us uh, finding a job just to earn us some money have got jobs that actually use and develop our gifts. Sometimes also we need to remember that God places us in jobs that may not be fulfilling in themselves because he has another purpose for us in that job, in that place of work, in that business. And it may be that his purpose is in the lives of the 
people who are working there. Our job may not be the greatest, but he has a purpose for us to be there in the lives of our fellow workers. And then sometimes I've seen people in an undemanding and unfilling job because actually God wanted their mental, emotional, and spiritual energy for an activity in the church or the community. They had a job which provided them enough to earn their living, but actually God wanted all of their energy for another job in the community or in, in the in the church community. Certainly, I can just say that the experience of, of Rita Lisa and I has been that God always has a purpose for each step in our lives. Some jobs for us have certainly been short and unsatisfactory, but as we look back, we discovered that we'd learned something or met somebody who was going to be important later in our lives. So, to try and summarize all of that, then, first of all, God's calling is for the whole of our lives, not just our work or some other particular part of our lives. God's calling is for the whole of our lives. Secondly, our lives are lived in and by the Spirit of God. And it's the Spirit of God who creates the fruit, his fruit in our lives, which gives the character to all of that we do it that we do and kind of makes them good. And he's also the source of the gifts in our lives. And both the fruit and the gifts apply to the whole of our lives. And then the third point that we've we've learned today is that we need equipping by our spiritual guides to be able to be most effective in using God's gifts for the good works that God has prepared for us to do. After last week's talk, I, I certainly had some, some questions and some comments from, 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 from about the last, the last session. And it was mostly because there were things that I had said that weren't clear or just didn't seem to be quite right. And, and I have had the, uh, the, the, the pleasure, as it were, of, of trying to, um, correct those or explain myself more clearly and some of that has been incorporated into the into the written script of the of the talks that I've developed. But today um, what I what I think I'd like for us to do given that we've actually talked about a lot of things and some of them may be not quite the way that we've usually heard some of these things. I, I think I want to ask, does it make sense of what we have studied to assume that God wants to use our gifts and bless our gifts in all aspects of our lives? I think that's the question which perhaps gets to the heart of, of what I've, I've been talking about today. Does it make sense of what we have studied to assume that God wants to use our gifts and bless our gifts in all aspects of our lives and our work, our home life, leisure activities, as well as our church life. And I'd love to just hear uh, what some of you 
um, think about that over the next 15, 15 minutes or so. I believe that, yes, God gifts us in different ways. And, um, and he does, you know, he does use our gifts in many areas of our lives and even different seasons, like you said. Um, I have noticed with, you know, with myself that, you know, before I had kids, you know, I did different things. And when the kids came along, uh, was a different season for my life, and um, and God gave me gifts to take care of my kids, but also gifts that I use at Sunday school, at church, gifts that I use now at in my job. For example, when you know the love that I have for kids and in teaching, you know, God gave me a job that I can work with kids and teach, but also I work for many years in the in with, you know, street kids. And uh, I think God does, you know, use uh, the gifts that he has given us in in our whole life, you know, not only job, but at our homes, at church, and um, our jobs. And, uh, and he, you know, he guides us. In... Good. Thank you, Valeria. What do others think? Uh, yeah, I think um, I, I've sort of moved on from the idea of having one vocation because sometimes I feel like a cat. I've lived seven lives. Um, so, you know, you know, I got a degree in chemistry and then I worked in marketing and PR and then became an English teacher and now work in tourism. And so... <laughs> constantly sort of adapting let's say um to wherever I am and I think um yeah I think God gives you lots of gifts and helps you to develop them at different times um and Ian you've definitely been my spiritual guide um here in in Granada and as you know things that we've talked about in the last couple of weeks where we had to wind down a business and um, that was particularly hard. So that's, I can see how, you know, the gift that God gave you as a, as a mentor, which, you know, you, you used in a professional um, sphere, you're now using within the church. So that's, that's great. So, yeah, I think um, we have to take a very holistic uh, view of, 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 of our gifting and our vocation uh, or many, you know, strengths that we have. And, you know, as long as we put God first and we constantly seek him and, 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 and seek his will be, so that it is done in our lives, then we can, we can express those gifts and that vocation in, 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 in all of our lives, in, in every aspect of our life. Super, Liz. Let me come back to you here because, as you say, you've 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 done different sorts of jobs and different sorts of experience. Does it seem like, with each successive job or or or, or kind of work that you've you've been able to do, that you've been able to use the experience from oh, yes. previous previous jobs? Absolutely. 
definitely. Yeah. Yes. You're always learning, yeah, something new and you take you take new lessons, uh, even with the whole pandemic and this experience. I feel like we've really learned a lot and come a long way and yeah, learned a lot the hard way, let's say. Um but but now, you know, it's good now. <laughs> it wasn't good two weeks ago, but it's <laughs> it's better now. <laughs> and right. um you just got to trust in God because, yeah. <laughs> Super. Thanks, Liz. Yeah. Adriana, you're facing some crossroads and thinking about the future in light of the past. How does this make sense to you? Uh, yeah, well, these studies have, have been very useful these days for me to get like a point and to to lead me, um, I mean, to clarify my mind and different stuff, because as I told you before in the last session, uh, well, it's not about this time. All of my life since I met Jesus, it has been like a conflict in my mind between um, I want to be 100% in the ministry, just being a missionary and talking about God or, or using my profession to do it the same way. And it has been like God has given me direction, as, as you were saying, and as Valeria was saying, in different parts of my life. And and I like what you were talking about with, with Rita Lisa, that you have met different people in different points of your life. And it's like that, that you feel that it's a connection. I mean, that, that it's someone who God sent for something specific in your life in that moment and can give you direction. And... And well, as a pharmacist, it has been the same. I, I am a pharmacist, but I have worked also in marketing, as Liz was saying. So it's funny because I know when I was working in marketing, so I received some uh, skills uh, about leadership and other things that I didn't have with my background as a pharmacist. So I started having these leadership skills and communication skills to talk to people in public and everything that I didn't have before. I mean, that that maybe I didn't explore before that experience. And after all of that, I started like serving with them with the youth ministry in, in the church. And it was so it's like, it's a whole that you were saying, you know, so now I have this, the leadership skills for my job, but also to lead some people in groups uh, with the church. So it's like, um, I have understood in in a better way that it's a whole, as you were saying, and I agree. To, I totally agree that we cannot be like a, living different four different lives or seven different lives. It's like just a whole, and and I think that it's our responsibility to develop the different areas in our lives. You know, because because maybe I I had the experience that maybe some years I was only focusing my in the ministry, in the church, and it was all the time, 90% of my time in the church, 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 everything was the church. And, 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 and I had stopped studying for some years. And then I was like, Oh my God, I need to keep studying. Uh, because, because yes, I need to move in my profession too. And, and, and maybe if, if I move and if I have new skills and you have, if I know new people, I meet new people, sorry. Well, I can, I can also reach other people for Christ with all, all of what we, you were saying about the, 
the Holy Spirit gives and the, and the Holy Spirit fruit and showing the character of God in everywhere, everywhere where, where we can be, you know, in action. So, well, I'm, I'm very thankful for these sessions. Adriana, I know that when you were working as a pharmacist in, in Colombia, you, um, you exercised some significant leadership in doing various things in hospitals which were important to improve the quality of care. To what extent did you at that time, or maybe now looking back, think about that as part of building the kingdom of God, of having God's will being done on earth as in heaven? That's a very good question, and I'm trying to find the words in English to, to answer it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's what, what you were saying last week, for example, to bring order to the cows. So uh, when I was in the hospital, and I really love working in the hospital, uh, being an, um, a pharmacist, uh, working in, in patient safety, because I think that with uh, with a simple action that I make, I can improve their quality of life with a patient, but also with my colleagues. Yeah, because if God gave me these leadership skills and communication, and, and also if I have the Holy Spirit, I am going to lead my team in a different way, not like a boss, but like a leader, and. And it was very important because people was feel, people were feeling like that. It was like, but you are you you are like a different boss. They were saying to me, they were, you are like a different boss. You don't act like the other bosses that we that that we have had before. You is is because I I was I mean, I was strict, and uh, but um but I was kind. And I was trying them to understand the purpose of being in a hospital and not being just, I don't know, in another activity that, but working in health, that it's very important and it, it can have a positive impact on other people's lives or a negative, or even you can just kill anybody if you don't do your work in, in the, in a good way. So yeah, uh, I think that it bringing order is, is, is what God wants us to do in different ways. And at the same time, if I had the opportunity to, to talk about Jesus, I just did it. I mean, in, in, with, with people in, in, in the hospital, because people are suffering when people, when people are sick, they are like waiting someone to talk to them about hope. And so they are more sensitive and working in a hospital is very stressful too. So it's another opportunity to talk about Jesus with the other employees. So everywhere was an opportunity to talk about Jesus besides, uh, yeah. Thank you, Adriana. I think that's so helpful. And I think we think what Valeria was saying, what Liz was saying, what Adriana has just been saying, uh, you know, these are, we're talking about the good works that God has prepared for us to do. And those, those good works are in all sorts of different aspects of life, whether it be in a hospital, running, running a business, um, dealing with, with children, um, whatever it is. These are all things in which 
God has, God has an interest in things being done well according to the, the values and the goals of his kingdom or, or, or otherwise. And so I, th- I think this has been a nice way of, of demonstrating the way in which for each one of us, yes, our gifts and our calling and the fruit of the Spirit are all part and parcel of the one life that we live. And, and they all link together. And I think it's been really nice that the, 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 the examples that you've given really help to consolidate that. So thank you everybody. And as I say, um, next, next week, what I'm, what I'm hoping is that we can really look a little bit at the Old Testament and what I'm going to call an economy of neighborliness looks like. Because I think this is, this is going to teach us something about the principles of what a godly economy should look like. It's, it's an economy of neighborliness, of loving our neighbors as ourselves. And hopefully we can then go on and think about how the, how we can, we can apply that. So thank you everybody and uh, see everybody again quite soon. Gracias por escucharnos. Te invitamos a visitar nuestra web c29granada.es y a conectar con nosotros en nuestras redes sociales arroba c29granada.